Hey everybody, Pastor Dan here. January is Stewardship Month at Brockport First Baptist. Whether you're a long-term member of our church or someone who's new, we'd ask that you consider supporting the work we do financially. You can give a one-time donation and set up automatic giving through our website, brockportfirstbaptist.org give. And if you're someone who already supports us financially, we'd love for you to turn in a pledge card to help us plan and budget for the year ahead. Pledge cards are being mailed out in mid-January, and they are due back at church by the end of the month. Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy this week's recording. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So this week we begin our journey in Acts. Knowing Dan, he's been thinking about this for the last four or five months. Um, the scripture reading today is at the beginning of Acts, and I'm, I was reminded again when I was reading it in preparation for this that it, it is a letter. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kurt, for that reading. So good morning again, everyone. I'm, I'm Pastor Dan, if you didn't get that from the children's chat. Um, any more balloons make it up in the, just, just one I was warned right before church, like don't let any balloons go up there because they get stuck in the fans. So uh, apologies for that. Uh, but also happy new year, everybody. Uh, I was on vacation last weekend, so I do want to give a big thank you and a shout out to everyone uh, who was part of our songs, psalms, and sharing service last week. Uh, it was uh, a beautiful service uh, to the folks who, who planned it, who led us in worship, who shared readings. Uh, thank you all for uh, such, a, such a wonderful time together. 
It is a new year, and as Kurt pointed out, we're starting a brand new teaching series today on the book of Acts, uh, and we're going to be taking our time with this one. We're going to be in Acts uh, for the next several months at least. And uh, whenever we start a new series, whenever we open up a new book of the Bible here together, I always like to start with a little background so that we have some sense of what we're reading. So let's get into it. Uh, no no uh, reason to waste time. Let's get into a quick and dirty overview of the book of Acts. Um, Acts, or Acts of the Apostles, as it's traditionally called, tells the story of the early church. The very first Christian community led by Jesus' disciples. Their story is the book of Acts. It's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there's broad consensus among scholars that Luke and Acts were written by the same person um, as like a two-volume work. Luke is part one, Acts is part two. Uh, the books have a lot of the same language, a lot of overlapping themes. They echo each other back and forth. So um, if you've ever read the Gospel of Luke and wondered, what happens next? Acts answers that question, okay? That's, that's the book of Acts. Uh, it tells us what the disciples did after Jesus went up, up, and away. The book of Acts was written anonymously. Um, the author never identifies themselves, but it is a tra traditionally attributed to a guy named Luke, the same guy we attribute the Gospel of Luke to, another anonymous book. Uh, we actually meet Luke in the book of Acts. He is a doctor who travels around with the Apostle Paul. Some stuff to know about Luke, uh, he never actually met Jesus. Uh, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. He joins the movement much later and becomes part of the early church. And Luke was also an outsider. Luke was a Gentile, which is a fancy word for not Jewish. Um, in fact, as far as we know, Luke is the only non-Jewish author in the entire Bible. All the other books of the Bible were written by Jewish folks. So Luke comes into the Jesus movement as a cultural and religious outsider, which might be why a huge theme of his two books is the inclusion of outsiders. In the Gospel of Luke, we always see Jesus hanging out with people he's not supposed to hang out with, um, prostitutes, tax collectors, people with tattoos, probably. Jesus is always hanging out with the people he's not supposed to associate with, and it drives the religious people nuts. And we see that theme continue in the book of Acts. The disciples start out thinking that the church belongs to them. This is our thing, our movement. And then the Holy Spirit moves the boundary, and it's like, oh, well, I, I guess these people are, are part of it, too. Okay, so this, this is the new boundary. This is God's people now. And then the Holy Spirit moves again, and the boundaries expand over and over and over again. It goes until the good news about Jesus goes in all the earth. That's the story of Acts. We following along so far? Good. Awesome. Uh, another piece of background, the book of Acts is addressed to a guy named Theophilus, and we don't really know who that is. Uh, it could be Luke's patron, the guy who, who hired him to write the book. That's possible. It could also be a code name. Theophilus literally means lover of God, so that would apply to a lot of people. Another theory I like is that we are Theophilus that this is Luke's way of addressing all the readers of his book, both the people 
He wrote the book, too, originally 2,000 years ago, and all the generations of readers who followed since. In which case, hello, Theophilus. I'm Dan. <laughs> That's stupid. I'm sorry. Um, last piece of background. This part's really important. Last piece of background, then we're going to get into it. Um, while it's always tricky to date books of the Bible, we are pretty sure the book of Acts was written somewhere between 70 and 100 CE, the last three decades of the first century. It's not going to be a quiz or anything, but this is important because it gives us some clues as to why this book was written, the purpose of Acts. Think about what would have been going on in the church, this early Christian community between 70 and 100 CE. Jesus was on the ground doing his thing around the year 30, right? So we are now 40 to 70 years after the time of Jesus, which means that that first generation of his disciples, the people who walked with Jesus, talked to Jesus, the ones who were in the room where it happened, they're not in the room anymore. They're gone. Peggy, do you have a question? What's your question? Yeah. Oh, uh, like A.D., A.D., C.E., yeah, Cri common era, Christian era, sorry, sorry, yeah, that, that could be confusing, Seven, 70 to 100 C.E. But all those disciples who were there with Jesus on the ground, they're gone. They're not in the picture anymore. There might have been a few people left, like if you were around 20 years old following Jesus back in the day, you'd be somewhere between 60 and 90 by now. So there might have been a few people who remembered. But figures like Peter, Paul, James, these heroes of the early church that we're going to read all about in Acts, they're all dead and buried by the time this book is written. They're not there anymore. Imagine being a Christian in that time period. Imagine being part of a new generation of the church trying to figure out what it looks like to be Christian. Maybe you're part of a house church that meets in secret somewhere in Rome to like avoid the authorities. Maybe you're a leader who's trying to teach the faith to other people, people like you who never met Jesus in the flesh. Imagine trying to do church when all the pillars of the church, the leaders that you learned from and looked up to, are gone. What do you do? What do you say? How do we engage the world faithfully as followers of Jesus who never actually met Jesus? How do we share the good news to a world that doesn't buy it? A world full of hostility and violence. What does it look like to engage the world as a Christian in this time and place? It's a lot of the same questions we're still asking today. I said that the book of Acts tells the story of the early church. It's the origin story of the church, really. And why do we tell origin stories? Why do we return over and over again to the stories of our past? Why does every superhero movie ever made start by showing us how our hero got their powers? It's because origin stories remind us where we've been so that we can figure out where we need to go. 
The past gives us direction for the present and the future. I think about Abraham Lincoln, right, in the Gettysburg Address. I don't think any of us remember that one, but, but I think of Abraham Lincoln and what it would have been like speaking to a country that nearly tore itself apart and how he hearkens back to the founding of our country, right? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty, which I only have memorized from watching Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> I think of Martin Luther King Jr., right? The March on Washington, standing on the steps of the Lincoln Monument, hearkening back to that same exact speech and the founding of our country as a place where all men, all people are created equally. In a few weeks, we're going to have Brockport Baptist Basics, our class for new folks, people looking to join the church, get baptized. And in that class, we're going to talk about Roger Williams, the founder of the First Baptist Church in America, literally, like the, the actual first one. And we're going to talk about those very first Baptists and how they had this vision of a church led by the people, where everyone in fellowship with each other was free to hold to their convictions and read and interpret the Bible for themselves, and how that still shapes us today. We tell origin stories because they help us discern what it looks like to live faithfully right here and right now. That is the why of this book. That's why the book of Acts was written, and it's why we're still reading it today. We keeping up with all this? Good. I know this is a lot of info. With all that out of the way, though, let's reread the passage, see if it hits any differently, and then we'll talk more about it. All right? Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. In the first book, Theophilus, lovers of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think this story has a lot to say to us. Like, where to start, right? We could talk about the Holy Spirit, 
evangelism, the kingdom of God. It mentions baptism. We could talk about the return of Jesus, his ascension, all these proofs he was showing the disciples. But what's most pressing? What does this story have to say to us today as followers of Jesus in 2024? It's a new year. It's also an election year, and I know how you people get during election years. I know how I get during election years. It's, it's stressful, you guys. This is going to be a rough 12 months or so. Um, back in 2016, the American Psychological Association identified a new mental health disorder called election stress disorder. This is real, you guys. Um, it's a state of anxiety brought on by the fear and rhetoric surrounding presidential elections. It is a certified recognized disorder. Uh, this is how Dr. Robert Bright, who's a psychiatrist at the Mayo Clinic, describes election stress disorder. We'll get the quote on, this, on the slide. We notice it in our bodies, the tension in our shoulders. Sometimes people get gastrointestinal upset or headaches. People have trouble sleeping, tossing, turning, worrying, and not being able to get to sleep or having bad dreams about the election. There's a lot of fearfulness and a number of mixed emotions. People with fear and hypervigilance constantly searching the news and being on whatever social media outlet you have and getting these messages. I was watching the television this morning and every commercial has this ca catastrophic message. If you vote for this guy or that guy, horrific catastrophic things are going to happen. And that constant message creates a sense of anxiety and fear. We start getting irritable and short and snapping at people, not trusting people, seeing people as the other or the same. It starts affecting our relationships at home. It starts affecting our work. How many of us read that and you're like, that's me. <laughs> I feel seen, right? Election stress disorder, it's, le it's a legit thing. Uh, according to a poll from a few years ago, 68% of American adults reported that the 2020 election was a significant source of stress in their lives. 68% of adults. That's more than two-thirds, you guys. And the numbers cut across political lines. Left, right, independent, highly engaged voters, lowly engaged voters, red states, blue states, more than two-thirds report this cause of stress. A lot of people are worried that we are going to see increased political violence over the next year. More and more of our neighbors kind of drifting to extreme positions and extreme actions. What does it look like to live faithfully and to engage the world as followers of Jesus in 2024? How do we make sure that we don't lose our way in the midst of all this chaos? We can start with our origin story, the book of Acts. Already in the opening lines of this book, I see echoes of questions we are still wrestling with. Jesus comes back from the dead. He spends 40 days with the disciples. And after all that, they're like, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Now that you've defeated death and conquered sin, can we get on with the important part of, of fighting the Romans? 
They're still playing the political power game. This guy conquered death, but the disciples are looking for, them, for, for him to beat up their enemies and give them the victory. It's infuriating. And it's the exact same thing we still see from many Christians today. We still want a God who's going to beat up our enemies and give us the win. A God who's going to put us in power, help our guy get elected, help us win the culture war, as if the goal of Christianity is amassing worldly power. That's not what Jesus was about 2,000 years ago. That's not what he's about today. Of course, this isn't the only extreme we see in the church. The culture warrior mindset, that's, that's one of the extreme positions. As popular as that is, there's another way, another, another bad way a lot of Christians go about engaging the culture. And it takes the form of an aloof detachment from the culture. A sort of isolation into a little bubble, treating the world as if it doesn't really matter. With all the division, all the tribes and the hateful rhetoric. A lot of Christians choose to just disengage, retreat, turn it all off, ignore all the violence and turmoil, set our sights on heavenly things. Why talk about justice and politics? Why try to make the world a better place? I'm not worried about the world. I'm thinking about heaven. Look at it up there. Isn't it beautiful? Won't it be nice to live up there someday? You got one chunk of the church trying to conquer the world, dominate the world. The other chunk acting as if the world isn't there, doesn't concern them. Looking up in the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. Head in the clouds. Where have we seen that before? It's right here in our origin story. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up at heaven? You're not going to find Jesus up there. He is gone. When he comes back, we're all going to know. In the meantime, though, we've got work to do. Jesus counters these two extremes with an alternative, a third way to engage culture. We don't have to choose between fighting a culture war and a sort of aloof, head-in-the-clouds detachment. Jesus points us to a third way, and that's witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus calls us to bear witness, to share the good news about what he's done in our lives, what God is doing in our community, to take that good news through the power of the Holy Spirit out to a world that desperately needs to hear it. When we take a stand for justice as Christians, it's not left or right, it's gospel. When we serve a hot meal to someone in need, it's not with an agenda, it's in faithfulness. 
When we put the message on our church sign that all are welcome, all belong here, it's not because we're woke. It's because we follow Jesus and Jesus welcomed everyone. When the stress of 2024 kicks in, and it's going to kick in, it's going to be really tempting to gravitate toward one of those two extremes. You're going to want to disengage, retreat, and shut it all off. Or if you're wired slightly differently, you're going to want to choose a side and start throwing punches. That's not what faithful witness looks like. We have to reflect the love and grace we received in Christ. When we encounter hate and violence, we have to respond with love. When the echo chambers of our culture start blaring out their lies, we have to center ourselves on Christ. The book of Acts can help us with that. That's why this book was written. Dear Theophilus, Fellow lovers of God, my invitation to all of us in this new year and beyond is to ground yourself in this story. Let this story form you, shape you, challenge and change you into the person God is calling you to be. And may the book of Acts guide and shape our church in this new year as well as we strive to be faithful witnesses of Jesus. That's my prayer for 2024. Amen.